Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to week two of a series we're calling Arrows. And the metaphor of arrows ta- is all about our children. The Bible is full of metaphors, gives us metaphors of, of, of God like a, a lion and also like a rose and a lamb. And we see arrows and fortresses and all, all those sorts of things. And we see this deal with our kids, our arrows, parents, our archers, our home is the archery range. We get this from Psalm 127 where Solomon, who God says is the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon gives this advice in Psalm 127. Two out of the 150 Psalms, Solomon writes, this is one of them, take a look. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. There's a divine partnership happening. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. No matter what you do to build your house and set your rules and do your thing as a parent, no matter what you do to watch, I'm watching you, I've always got eyes. My mom would say, Jesus knows, Jeremy, and so do I. Did you go watch that movie you weren't supposed to go watch? And I would say, yeah, like I really went and watched that movie, Mom. That was my way of saying, yeah, I really went and watched that movie, Mom. Anyway, Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Powerful imagery. They're not a shield. We're not here to protect them from the culture. Oh, little Jimmy's going to know what's going on. I'm so afraid. Arrows are on the offense. They're, They're out into the culture to make a difference. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them, they, those arrows, those, those children that grow up shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Think, look, look at that. Speak as like with authority, with confidence. Many people struggle with conflict management. It, it, like a conflict that's so small, all of a sudden on the divorce paper says irreconcilable differences. It didn't start irreconcilable. It started way, 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 small. But if not dealt with, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And before we know it, that mountain is so big, we don't think anybody can move it. And what the Bible says is as we focus our children, we see them as arrows, they're going to grow up to be able to deal with enemies. And obviously they're going to know how to deal with friends. If they can deal with the bad stuff, they can be blessed in the good stuff. Last week we talked about the keystone habits of Parenting, And if you're here and you're not a parent, you're here and you're a teenager, you're here and, and you want to have kids, you haven't had kids yet, you're here and you, the kids are already gone, you're saying, bless God. And, and uh, you're here regardless of where you are, whether you're an aunt, an uncle, a nephew, a, a cousin, a brother, a sister, a mom or a dad, a, a home that's got a mom and a dad or just a mom or just a dad or whatever. If you'll, t- if you'll take these habits and develop them it doesn't matter where you are. And I, and I, and I want to say to you, if you're here and you're investigating Christ, you haven't quite said, Jesus, be the center of my life. You, you don't have to do anything that, that I talk about today. You can just hear it, maybe have a nap. You can just hear it and just kind of move on. But if we're Christ followers, we, we, we can't opt out of following the word of God as the moral compass for the way we lead and live. Last week, we started with this keystone habit, live towards the target. All the other habits kind of come in line if you know that there's all kinds of different arrows, but there's only one target. We got to know what that target is. And we talked about all kinds of circles around that target. And last week I, I pulled out my awesome, this is not my bow, it's, a, it's obviously a, a lady's bow, unless they like pink. But, uh, and for the first time, like since I was nine years old, I shot an arrow in first service, I hit a bullseye with my first arrow in first service, second service. You guys aren't a spiritual. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you guys aren't a spiritual. See, that other, that, the first service, they were praying. No, I'm kidding. I'm not even holding it right, but, oh, see? I'm feeling really, really frustrated right about now. All kinds of arrows. We think that survi- like survival or whatever, a little high. Competence. If you look at the screen, you can see here that we've got problem solving. If, if you're just trying to raise your kids to be good problem solvers, that's great. They'll be able to solve a problem. But if you don't understand that that's just one of the concentric circles, 
That's only one of them. I hit the target. We're going to stop there. <laughs> I wasn't going to stop in that junk that I just did. Survival, independence, competence, problem-solving, morality, character growth. You don't really understand character growth until you have the center right. And the center is Jesus at the center. See, if, if character growth is the center, you may have character growth, but that character will be based on something else that's in the epicenter. If you have morality, okay, just, just doing right and wrong, and Jesus isn't the center, then all of a sudden what's right and wrong is based on what you think is right and wrong or what they think is right and wrong. And that, that's a dangerous place to be. But if we put Jesus in the center, all of a sudden, from survival to competence to problem solving, we take it through the lens of the Christ-like conduct, convictions, and character of Christ. So if last week was live towards the target, and that's the keystone habit, today, the keystone habit I want you to write down in your notes there is the name of the game is letting go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. Here I'll stand, here I'll stay. Even if the storm rages on, the cold will never bother me anyway. Actually, I hate the cold. The cold does bother me in a lot of ways. Don't clap at that. That is so horrible. Don't even clap. That's frozen, Disney. <laughs> oh, boycott Disney. That's part three of this sermon, you know, because Disney. Anyway. If first week we did an acrostic and we talked about AIM, now I'm going to give you something every week for these five weeks ending October 7th. So if last week was AIM and hitting the bullseye, today we're going to talk about release. And, and if, you look, if you look online, you can find all kinds of uh, YouTube videos on how to shoot an arrow and archery. And WikiHow shows you 12 steps to, to becoming an archer. And, and step nine, look at this, step nine is release the arrow... By relaxing the fingers of your string hand. This is the key of step nine. And then it gives us all this other sub, sub points here. It says, now, while this may sound simple, the manner in which you release your fingers from the bowstring can impact the arrow's flight. The way we let go impacts where the arrow goes. The aim is to get as clean of release as possible. And this will probably what? Yeah, it takes time, doesn't it? To prepare our kids to leave the string takes time. Problems that you may encounter when releasing the bowstring includes flinching, wobbling, or anticipating the shot inaccurately. Man, I thought parenting was going to look different. I thought it was going to be easier. I told them three times and they still did it. Why isn't it going this way? I mean, we started going to church and it's like the wheels fell off and we started going to church. Yeah, we anticipate these things. And I just thought if just, just by being good, things would go straight. See, here's the difference between, here's the difference between uh, your kids and a real arrow. An arrow does not have a soul or a brain. But your kids, they've got both. Well, they, they at least have one. They do have a soul. <laughs> Moving on. Anything that deflects the string from the way you remove your fingers can alter the arrow's course. Now, that, that's pretty serious. So even though they have their own mind, their own free will, their ability to choose after they leave the string, you know what, I'm not going to do it that way. We, we still want to make sure we give as clean a release as possible. And so how do we do that? I want to give you just a few different thoughts today as we look at releasing our children. Number one, parenting is a propulsion system, not a prison system. It, it, it's a place to launch. It's not a place to hold back. Kennedy Space Center in Florida is surrounded by a large chain link fence and barbed wire. It's a launching system. But so is San Quentin. It's not a launching system. It's a prison system. Both have walls. Both have chain link. Both have uh, barbed wire. One is designed to protect the launch. The other one is designed to hold people where they are. And if we look at our houses, we have to have the right mind, the right sight. We have to have the right focus. We are a propulsion system getting them where they need to go. That, that chain link around the Kennedy Space Center 
is to protect people on the outside from getting too close and being hurt. It's to keep things from moving in that could cause damage to the launch. They even say alligators can come up off of the shore there, off the lake, and they can get into the, the, some of the mechanisms in the launch and, and shut the whole thing down immediately. And so what we have to do is we have to protect and guard, have borders and have some chain link. That's completely fine. But the goal isn't to hold them and protect them and stop, you know, can't let anything in. You're staying here until you're 14. We're not even going to let you out in the light of day and, and just, just stay here and, and, and love mommy. And, and, and we've got to be able to launch them out. Proverbs 22, 6, start children off on the way they should. What? Go. They're meant to go. And even when they are old... They will not turn from it. Now, this has been misunderstood for a long time, meaning that as long as we raise our kids in the foundation of the Lord, that they'll always love the Lord. But that's, that's not how it works. Uh, Proverbs is a good character development uh, uh, book in the Bible. And if we follow these things, we will have a better chance at a solid, biblically-based, Christ-centered life but they still have their own choice. But even when they're old, they will not turn from it. It doesn't necessarily mean that they'll always turn out good. But it does mean that those seeds you plant, it's hard to forget those seeds. When you, when you show them where they should go and you aim them and you release in the right direction, even when they veer off course, there are times where they say, I, I know my mom told me that. I know my dad said that over and over and here I am. That, those words will not depart from them. So if we're going to know where we got to go, we got to know mission control. Mission control has got to say where to head, what to do, how to set the course. And mission control is the word of God. Mission control is the spirit of Jesus speaking to us as parents. And he's been doing that all throughout time. We go all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Judges. And one of the judges that's born, his name is Samson, and he was a big old man. And he became a, a, a wonderful uh, uh, person in the Bible who had wonderful mistakes. Yet God worked through his mistakes and, and God used him in a powerful way. Before uh, Samson's mom gives birth, though, Manoah is talking to uh, God, talking to the angel. And here's what he says. He says, Manoah said, now when your words come true about this boy who's going to grow up and be a mighty man, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? If we're going to prepare, we've got to have a propulsion system knowing the mission of God for our kids is what our mission as parents has to be. Number two, you have to think about the end from the beginning. You got to think about the end long before the end gets here. You got to think about the end at the beginning. When is the right time to start thinking about your daughter's wedding someday oh god let's just pray right now like like when is the time to to remember that it's at the beginning not at the it's not like you know the day before you're walking her down the aisle you got to think about the end from the beginning the bible says moses wrote this psalm in psalm 92 he says lord teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom do you know why we can't teach ourselves because we are horrible teachers about numbering our days so we have to ask God to number our days for him. So every single time, every single time you hear someone say, oh, man, they grew up so fast. That's not just like a backyard barbecue conversation. That's actually God whispering to you. Man, where did the time go? That's not just a, a talk with a friend. You post pictures on Facebook that they remind you five years ago. And you say, oh, man, how, they grow up so fast. These, this isn't just chit-chat. This is Jesus saying, hey, you got to number your days. You got to number your days. You got to be wise because they will be gone before you know it. You got to think about the end. So, so how I'm aiming them now, when I let them talk however they want to talk, it, it, may just, it may just be what I'm thinking, ah, it's a phase to grow out of it. But if I, if I remove discipline from the home, do you know what I create? Children that are undisciplined. Without discipline, I create children that are undisciplined. And I'm not just thinking about this, like, I'm too tired to deal with this. Do you know, like, the first child, you're like, oh, you know, you're going to be right here, you're going to do this, you're going to be there every amount of time. Then the third child is like, well, hey, it's good to see you. Where are you going to be next month? Like, like you know, it, it, it comes like that. 
It's like the first child, you drop the pacifier, all of a sudden you pull out, you open a new one, it's hand sanitized, you, 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 you know, you stick it. The third child, it's like it drops in the toilet. Oh, man. Here you go. Like, I mean, it's just, that's how it is, you know it. And you got to think about the end from the beginning. Hannah, in the Bible, she had a husband named Elkanah. What a sexy name, Elkanah. And Hannah had a little bit of an issue with Elkanah because Elkanah not only had one wife but had two wives, uh, Hannah and Penna, uh, we'll call her Penny, Penny, her name's, Penaniah is her name, but we'll, we'll call her Penny for short. And Penny and Hannah were kind of like a little bit together because Penny was throwing in the face of Hannah the fact that she was uh, fertile myrtle and she could get pregnant and have a baby like this. And because of that, she had attention given by Elkanah to her, and Hannah uh, felt left out and abandoned by her husband, and so she it just just breaks her up in her heart, and so she goes to to the temple, and she's praying, and she's so praying for so long, she's like doesn't even have really she just her mouth is moving, but there's no words coming out. She's just been praying and praying and praying, and the priest sees her praying and here's what she's saying she's saying oh lord of hosts if you'll indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant we'll give to your servant a son and i will give him to the lord all the days of his life she was thinking about what she could she wanted a son so badly but she also knew that there's here's the end game not just so that i'll have a son but that i give him to you and sure enough she gets pregnant, she has a baby, and when she weans this child, she takes him back to the temple. And the same priest who thought she was drunk, kind of just talking to herself, she gives this baby over to Eli, and she says, I asked God for this child, and he gave me what I asked for. So I'm dedicating him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he will belong to the Lord. I want everybody to say that out loud with me right here. As long as he lives, he will belong to the Lord. And Samuel became an incredible leader in the word of God. He was responsible for, God did it, but he used Samuel to anoint the first king, Saul. And then Saul, he, he, he was anointed to be king, but he had character issues. And God removed the mantle of authority of Saul. And he used Samuel to say, your responsibilities are removed to you. God's giving your kingdom to someone else. He removes that, and he, he's the same guy who looks at Jesse's boys that, that, that uh, uh, sit the, the biggest and the strongest, and he looks at one after the other. The other seven different boys go by, and finally it's the, it's the little, like, you know, pimply-faced kid playing the banjo for the sheep in the pasture. And yet God speaks to that boy who was dedicated by his mommy years earlier. God speaks to that boy who's now a prophet and says, this is, this is the one, David. David later becomes king. Hannah understood the difference between owning and stewarding what God gives. Write this down. If I take the position of an owner on anything, if I think I own it, right, then guess what? I decide. I decide what's best. I decide what's next. I decide what's right. I decide what's wrong. I decide what feels good. I decide what doesn't feel good. I, I decide what's acceptable. I decide what's not acceptable. I decide the trajectory, I decide the bullseye, I decide the concentric circles around the bullseye. If I'm the owner, I decide. And as a parent, I know you birthed that baby. But that baby is really not just like your baby. Yeah, yeah, they're your kids, but I want you to know something. They're not your kids. You are a trustee of a soul designed by God. And the physical representation of that soul, you gave birth to. But the spiritual side of that physical person, that physical body is like a tent. It's going to fade away someday. That soul is on forever. Who owns that soul? You don't. Those are God's children. And if I take the owner of a steward, okay, a trustee, then I reflect the owner's desire. And the owner is God. So my goal in parenting is not for you to just do what I say. 
but I am also a steward and I am responsible to God to raise you accordingly and so help me. If you come in with that same attitude again, I am going to send you back to your heavenly father. (laughs) I reflect the owner's desire. Listen, um, if you were going to be gone on an extended trip and you let me house sit, two things. Number one, that would be a terrible idea for you (laughs) like because I would have parties. Um, but, 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 but secondly, how would you feel if you came back and I decided to rearrange the furniture and paint the walls? I said, ah, yeah, I really didn't like the, the, this is just more, you know, this just makes more sense to have the, the couch here. Anybody ever had a mother-in-law come over and stay and all of a sudden you come home and kid's hair is cut and your couch is somewhere else? Me neither, but, but maybe you are there. Like, like you don't decide. That's not, you're a trustee. You're just given temporary responsibility to do this the way the owner would have you do it. You know, that's why we do child dedications. And October 7th, uh, in a few Sundays from now, the end of this series, I want to invite you to dedicate your children, fifth grade and under. Usually it's like five-year-old and under. But, you know, maybe you're here, and when we do this, this isn't about getting your kids saved, like praying a prayer of salvation over your kids. That's between them and God and you aiming them in the right direction, but that's their decision to make. Really what it's more about is just a prayer over you as parents. So you know what we're going to do? You know what's going to end up happening? We're going to have the largest child dedication this church has ever had on October 7th because I know that some of you, you've gotten started and it's not like you're in trouble because you didn't do a formal delivery system of a dedication to the Lord. That's not it. But like Hannah, you said, I'm giving this, this, this is a, my boy and my girl, my girl and my boy. They are God's, and I'm going to be a trustee. And we want to pray a prayer over every family that wants to have their children dedicated. That's a great time for you to invite your aunt and your uncle, uh, your, your crazy Uncle Fred that hadn't been to church in like 24 years. Like, Fred, there's no way Uncle Fred would ever come to church, you know. And he's a drunk, degenerate man. He will, he'll come and see that child dedicated. And you know what we're going to show him when he gets here? We're not going to show him how bad Uncle Fred is. We're actually going to tell Uncle Fred how much Jesus loves him. And through a child dedication, you can bring your friends and relatives and associates and neighbors. And, and then I'll pray a prayer over you of just dedicating our kids to God. Sound good? Yes, yes, yes. It's a rule. If, three, if, if, if seven people clap, everybody should clap, okay? It's a rule. It's, it's a rule. All right, now if one person claps, then it's just awkward and learn your lesson. Yeah, see, that's just awkward. But if, like, if seven people clap, then everybody claps. See, okay. All right, yeah. That's, that, was, that was a Bible class in college. It, was, it, it really was. Clapping 101. Okay, no. Number, what in the world am I talking about? Number three. Children are supposed to leave. The marriage is supposed to stay. Like, like, God first. Marriage second. Children after that. God first. Marriage second. Children after that. Now maybe maybe you got God first and there is no marriage and you just got God and kids. God first. Your relationship with God. Children after that. You can't put your children above your relationship with God. You have to put, how are they going to follow if you're not putting it in the right order? So, so, so the marriage has got to stay. We see this in the book of Genesis. I mean, I mean God, God creates Adam. Look at the, go back. Um, God, God creates Adam, and he, he does that on the sixth day. But, like, throughout the thing, he says, it was morning, it was evening, the first day, and it was, God saw that it was good. And then the second day, God saw that it was good. And the third day, God saw that it was good. And the sixth day, God saw that it was what? But then after man is there to begin to have dominion and name the animals and you name it, the Lord says it's not good. All these good things, but it's actually not good for man to be by himself. And so he creates Eve. And and the moment Adam wakes up out of the surgery of taking the rib and forming Eve, he, he wakes up and he sees this beautiful woman. And he goes, whoa, man. And that's how we get the, the, the name woman. Whoa, man. 
That is so stupid. <laughs> but, then, but then God gives us a principle for life, and he says it here in Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A lot of marriages crumble after the kids leave because they become kid-centric. They become all about the kids. Your baby isn't number one. Oh, don't, don't you talk about my baby like that. That is my baby. That is my baby. Your baby is going to be jacked up in the future. <laughs> if they are the center of the universe, they're going to only be one center of the universe. It's him. It's Jesus. It's not Jimmy. It's not little Jimmy. It's Jesus. I don't mean Jesus. I mean Jesus. I mean Jesus Christo. They leave his father and mother and they be joined to his wife and they become one flesh. And then Jesus adds later in Matthew, and whatever God puts together, let no man separate. And we care about the marriages in Timber Creek. You know, the other day I was talking with Pastor Jonathan and uh, he was over uh, in one of our lobbies and he said, uh, a family came in. And he said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And, and, and the guy said, yeah, our marriage has been struggling. So we kind of like kind of stopped coming to church. And like that's the time to come to church. Like the time to come to church isn't like when you got... All, everything worked out. We say it and we'll say it again until we're blue in the face. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to stay that way. But at Timber Creek, it's okay not to be okay. And we want you to journey and take next steps. And I'm saying to you guys, we care about marriages and relationships. A few months ago, in the month of May, we said May is marriage month. And, and we're going to do that for a while. That's on my heart, that to make May Marriage Month. And we gave several different resources out. And one of the resources we gave at the end of that series of, of messages on Wednesday night was the great dates. Eight great dates to go on. And if you didn't get that resource, I want to invite you to take a look at the Timber Creek Church app. You can download the app. It's free wherever you get your apps. And if you go to Next Steps and you click on Next Steps, at the very top is Great Dates. And we have digitized all of those eight dates. And here's, what I'm gonna, here, here's the gauntlet. Here's the challenge. Okay? Go on two dates with your spouse a month until the end of the year. That gives you September, October, November, December. It gives you two dates a month at least. Okay? Two dates. That's going to give you dates to go through the end of the year. I'm telling you, if you don't take time. Look, we make time for what is important. We make it. We, we will find that time. Out of the 168 hours we have in a week, we will find time to go to tutoring and to practice and pick our kids up late for extracurricular activities and go to the choir concert and go to the baseball game and make sure that we're late because we had to have that, that extra thing at work and had to have that report done. So we made time for the report. We came home late. We made time to finally eat dinner at 9 o'clock. We make time for all that other stuff. You've got, to, you've got to find the time in those 168 to put your marriage before everything else other than God. You've got, you've got to do it. And you know what? You ought to be having sex every week if you're married. You ought, you ought to be having sex. And all the husbands. <laughs> write that, that is a good point. Would you write that down? Make sure Pastor Jeremy. <laughs> Didn't quite get seven. Didn't quite get seven. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now, if you say, Pastor, I got a little bit of a problem with that. I got a little bit of an issue with that. God designed sex, and the enemy has always got a counterfeit available. Hey, wives, your husband is your only pure option for intimacy. Hey, wives, your husband is your only pure option. Hey, husbands, your wives is your only pure option for intimacy. Let's not, let's not neglect those realities, too. You know? and, and, you know, beyond just the physical deal, uh, just intimacy, spending time together, locking off the, 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 shutting the door to the bedroom, say, don't come in here. We're having a conversation. <laughs> wink, wink. But maybe that's just what you need to do. Maybe the most intimate thing you can do is say, tell me about your day. I have found the more that I can have intimate conversations, 
don't know where I was going to go with that, but it's just better for me. It's better for me. If intimacy starts uh, at Chick-fil-A just having a drink and talking. Let's move on very quickly. Number four. <laughs> Equilibrium is essential. Everybody stand to your feet. Everybody in the room, if you're able-bodied, stand to your feet. Here we go. Would you stand to your heads? No, you would stand to your feet. Oh, you sound like, oh, I've been sitting for so long. Oh, hush. Here we go. Everybody do this. Just lift one leg off the ground and balance. It's so simple, right? Just lift one leg, balance. You can do it. You got it. Ah, some of you are cheating. You're holding on to the back of the seat, pot, the seat back. Okay. So what am I doing right now? I'm wrong. Trick question. I'm not balancing. Here's what I'm doing. I'm counterbalancing. I'm counterbalancing. If I move this way a little bit, I've got to move my weight over to this side. If I move to this side, i got to move my weight over. There is this constant flux of my, my shin and my muscles and my calf trying to keep me organized and also my brain trying to talk at the same time. Okay, you can put your feet down and you can be seated. All right, good job. You guys are so, you're so talented. Cirque de Soleil right here at Timber Creek, right there. It's, if you think that finding balance in your home is going to happen, it's a myth. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm going to release you from some tension. Balance doesn't happen, but counterbalance must. Counterbalance must. There are going to be times where the, the job does demand overtime and many, many hours. But if you don't counterbalance that and all you do is lean into the overtime and never spend some undertime from there and spend some time in the family, you've got to counterbalance. You, have, you spend a lot of time focused on your kids but you got to pull back and you got to spend the time with the spouse. Too much clutch is no better than too much gas. I was, uh, I was coming out picking up my child from daycare when, when Sage was just a baby in Wichita, Kansas. And there was a, a couple of teenagers in a convertible blue Camaro that, that, that pulled out of a driveway and were waiting at the stop sign. And I was behind them and they were going to cross uh, four lanes of highway, uh, four lanes of a, a large road, and, and turn left and go. And he, he, was revving the, he was revving at the stop sign, waiting for, waiting for an opening. <laughs> probably 16, 17 years old. Probably in, in dad's Camaro that he had taken time to, you know, uh, fix up and restore. And what's, what's kind of funny, ironic about it is right here to our right was uh, the local fire station right there. They peeled out when they got an opening. <laughs> went right over the four lanes of traffic into the grass and hit a tree. Probably going about 20 miles an hour or so. They, they both came out of the car like this. Thank, thank, thank God. I mean, that, he could have been killed. They came out like this and they both sat down on the, on the deal. All of a sudden, you see just the, the fire truck roll out. <laughs> it was like, kids, you know, they just kind of came up and, and were taking care of it. Too much too much engine, like too much gas will peel you out. Too much clutch, you don't go anywhere. And, and that word clutch is really important because it's not only the, the clutch. Look, you cannot teach someone how to drive a, a manual transmission on a YouTube video. Like you got to get out there and you got to feel, you got to feel the gas and the clutch. And many of you are like, what is a manual transmission? <laughs> like the kids today, like, what is, what is that? Like, you, you got to know kind of the right balance, when to pull back, when to go in. And, and so, too much gas as parents, do whatever you want, say whatever you want, drink whatever you want, do whatever, as long as you're with somebody you trust. I mean, I don't know, I can't be there all the time, so you just do whatever you're going to do. That's too much gas. And too much clutch, like, we will not watch VeggieTales in this family. <laughs> Those are real humans. We are not going to show Jonah as a vegetable. Like, like you know... It's crazy. We, we got too much gas, and then we got too much brakes or too much clutch. Too much clutch, and, and, and what a great word picture that, that, that we've got to find this counterbalance. Number five, empower, don't helicopter. We live in an overly hand-sanitized generation. A, lot, a huge percentage of 18 to 29-year-olds are still living at home other than with their spouse, with a spouse. 
There's a huge percentage. Because as we helicopter and not empower, we pause the, the, the wisdom and leadership development of our children for the sake of protecting them. And our, and our goal is not just to protect them. Our goal is to aim them and release them. You got to empower, don't helicopter. Now, I know it's crazy in this day and age. I mean, the stuff that kids have access to just on an iPad is, is, is concerning. But what we lock them down and we say, no, you're, hey, get into that bunker. When you're 21, I'm going to let you out. I'm going to tell you about the birds and the bees. What does that mean? <laughs> Slam. The door is shut and they're, they're in the, the bunker until they're 20. You know what hovering does when we helicopter, when we hover? Hovering creates hope, helplessness. Hovering creates helplessness. This whole thing, we're born with it. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. Now, when they're young, no, they cannot do that themselves. They cannot do that themselves. You can't do that yourself. But, but, but there, there's born in them this desire to want to leave. And they start becoming a teenager. They're pressing those limits, aren't they? Pressing the boundaries, trying to figure out what can I get away with, what's going to be allowed, what's going to be do. You just won't let me do what I want to do. I just want to do what I want to do. I want to do the way I want to do. Why can't you just be like the other parents? They don't even care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hovering creates helplessness. Uh, Abby, come help me for just a minute. This is Abby Soul. Her and her family have been a part of this church for, for a long time. Actually, I knew Abby and her parents from a long time ago in Kansas. Abby, you're here to help me figure out how to do a rope. <laughs> I don't know. Let's, let's find it. Okay, there we go. So here's what we're going to do. Would you take that and just wrap that around your waist there and just tie it, tie it tight. Thank you. Good job. Abby is one of our uh, worship leaders. She um, is off today, but she was worshiping on the second row right behind me. She's got a fantastic voice. Her whole family is just like stupid gifted. It makes me sick. (laughs) For years, Jason was our children's pastor, one of the most creative minds I've ever met in my life. And uh, Carly is now just finished up. She's one of the school counselors for Lufkin ISD. And Jason's a vice principal at Central ISD. Just, just a fantastic family. We love them so much. Um, okay. Guys, you ready up there? Okay. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, what, what is just going on? We're going to fly you like an angel. Take your wings and fly. Whoops. <laughs> All right. Let me help you with something, okay? We're going to wrap up here. So let me finish with just these last couple of points. As parents, you hold the rope. And you know, there's beautiful symbolism of one stage to the next where we hang on to this rope and that rope is cut after birth. It's called the umbilical cord. And then we're, we're teaching them as they're close, like... Oh, no, 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 don't do that. Stay here. And then when they start to walk, we're like, we, we, actually, we actually applaud them when they start going away. Like at first it's like, oh, hold, hold the neck right, you know. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm holding them by the leg. What do I do here? <laughs> our, our first Janet, you remember when Sage was so small, she fit in the sink of our little house on Prescott Road. And we were so nervous the first time we placed her in that little sink trying to watch. Oh, we don't want to drown her. We don't want to drown her. And your mom was, was, was there hovering like she does. And, and, and no, no, she's great. She's great. She's not. She goes to first service, so shh, don't tell her. But, but, and I'm, I'm going to get into you, Abby, but, but just, you, you're just looking good. So, but, but like, oh, I mean, I'm so afraid we were going to drown that little baby. And now she's 15. Oh, my gosh. But like when she got old enough, it was like, okay, learn to walk. Learn, like, like, go, go. Oh, look at her. Look at her. Look at her. Look at her. And she falls. Oh, baby, 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 baby. Come here. Come here. Come here. We're okay. Okay. We're going to step over here a little bit, okay? So as they get older, friends, you, like, I don't just, I'm not up with all the technology, but, like, all the stuff, like, we just, we give them rope. Just go ahead and start. We, we, we give them rope, and we give them rope. And, and so Abby calls and says, hey, uh, me and some, some of my girlfriends are going to go watch a movie. There you go, right there. Me, me and my girlfriend's going to watch a movie, God's Not Dead, part three, still not dead. <laughs> And, and, uh, 
<laughs> that's, that's funny. And, and uh, God's on the dead in us three. It's going to be, it's going to be me and it's going to be um, my two girlfriends and we're going to be there. It's going to be awesome. We're going to eat popcorn and we're going to watch and we're going to pray and we're going to cry. It's what we do in Christian movies. And then you, can you pick us up at, at, at 945? And mom says, or dad says, sure, I'll be there. So mom and dad get there at 945 and they're not there. And all, but, but about five minutes later, they come walking through the parking lot. And you roll down the window and say, hey, girls, you have a good time? Yeah, we had a good time. Had a good time. Thank you. Well, where are you guys coming from? Oh, you know what? The movie was a little boring. So we actually, we just walked over to Marble Slab and we had, we had ice cream and we kind of chatted there. We actually had a really cool, like, little Bible study together. We prayed. <laughs> and, and then we, like, said, one, two, three, God's not dead. And... and <laughs> And then now we're, now we're back, but everything's cool. Okay, okay, guys, thank you so much. Hop in the car, Abby. I say, Abby, um, you, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. Well, I mean, it was just ice cream. It's not like we went, you know, went through the drive through liquor store. We just went to get ice cream. It's not going to kill anybody. <laughs> yeah, but you know how you're lactose intolerant. <laughs> no, no, what I say is actually you lose, you lose some rope. You lose rope. And I know it's as simple as a thing of just going ice cream, but when you don't do what you say you're going to do, you lose rope with us. You lose rope. Okay, you're going out to you're going to, going out with your friends. Be back at ten. Will you be back at ten? You promise you'll be back. You 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 say ten. So Abby comes back. It's ten oh eight. It's ten oh eight. The intention, I know I get it, 10.08, come on, come on, Dad, it's eight minutes, the clock was wrong, didn't even understand, you don't even know the rules in these houses, just let me live my life, I just want to live my life, let me live my life. Hey, I'm, I want to give you, I know 10, the Johnsons, they let their kids stay out till 2, I know, I know, but it's 10 o'clock for us, and so you're just going to lose a little rope, okay, so, hey, it's, it's, I'm a freshman in college, going to Stephen F. Austin on a huge scholarship. This girl is smart, is like smart. Okay, now stop. And, and but she's going to come home for the weekend. She's at weekend. She goes, hey, I'm, I'm home for the weekend, but our friends are getting together at someone's house. I'm going to go hang out with them for a while. Hey, when do you think, you know, you're, when do you think you're going to be home? Because now they're making more of their own decisions. Uh, it'd probably be midnight or so. Well, 930, Abby comes to the door. And mom and dad are just sitting up watching television. Well, 9.30, I thought you were going to be home until midnight. And she says, well, as she walks through the door, the atmosphere of that party, I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, just a lot, of, a lot of drinking and things. And I mean, we're talking about college, but even high school. I just, I didn't want to be around that environment. So I just said, hey, let's, I'm going to go home early. Oh, you get lots of rope. You <laughs> get lots of rope. Girl, have your rope. Okay, you can go sit down. Keep that tight on. Keep that tight on because I may, I may drag you up here in just a second again. But Give Abby a huge hand. No, no, keep it on, girl. You're going to lose rope. <laughs> that is funny. All right. Thank you. Just, just hang tight. You still with me? All right, let me put a bookend on this. Number six. All dreams take a back seat to God's. All dreams take a back seat to God's. You know, I was talking with, uh, Jeremy, can I share that little story that you shared with me? So Jeremy was uh, is on our police force uh, as police officer. Thank you for your service and all of our police. Thank you for their service. Uh, first responders. And, and uh, up, up for a potential promotion, but when he found out the promotion was going to require Sundays, he said, you know, I, I just, I don't even know if that's for me anymore. But there was a big dream, wasn't it? It was a big dream to get into that position. But that dream, he realized now, maybe not would have realized that a couple years ago, that, that even that dream takes a backseat to God's dream. Many people say, oh, I hate, and listen, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to step on your toes, but 
many people will take a, a raise in pay and take an awesome promotion at work, but the consequences are they're never home anymore. And I want to say, sometimes our own dreams have to take a backseat to God's dreams. Other times, the promotion and the pay raise and all those things, it all comes in line, and you're still able to accomplish God's dream. We'll do that. That's, that's great. But if it ever begins to conflict with what God has for your family, you have to start thinking, okay, what's the most important thing? See, many are the plans. Next slide. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's, it's, it's his purpose. We, we can't take a back seat to our, let God take a back seat to our dreams. God has to be his dream for your life, his mission for Samson, his mission for you, his mission for me. Can't take a back seat to what's comfortable for me. Saul, the first king, he wanted the kingdom to stay in his own house. And so his son's grown up, Jonathan, and Jonathan's becoming best friends with David, who's the heir apparent. Jonathan's the heir apparent as far as biology. But David, like he killed the giant. He's slain tens of thousands. This guy is a military commander. He's getting all like he won Hebrew idol. It's crazy all that David is doing. And Saul is jealous as jealous can be. And he tells Jonathan one night, you're going to be the next king. And Jonathan next says, you know what, Dad? I don't know if that's God's dream for me. I think David's in a better position. And you know what Saul does? He takes a spear and he hurls at Jonathan, trying to pin his neck to the wall with a, with a javelin. You will be king. He's like, yeah, like I want to follow you. Be all loud and mad and, and make me be king by killing me with a spear. But Saul was just so tied up in his dream that he couldn't see God's dream. And then you take a little 14-year-old girl named Mary who's got her whole life ahead of her. And one night she's visited by an angel. And the angel says, Mary, you're blessed and highly favored. And you're going to carry the Savior of the world. You're going to name his, him, his name is going to be Jesus. And he's going to be the Savior. And people will call him Emmanuel. They'll call him Emmanuel. God with us. And the Bible says Mary pondered those things in her heart. Could you imagine what Mary went through every time Jesus running out at eight years old, running into the middle of chariot traffic in the dusty streets of Bethlehem? What do you think you could get yourself killed? What are you doing? And in her mind, she's thinking, oh, this is such a precious baby this, that was given to me by the Holy Spirit. Twelve years old, the Bible says, he walks off, wanders off. On purpose, but he wanders off. And Mary and Joseph are about ready to have a fit. They can't find him anywhere. Ever lost your kids at a, in a little retail store or at the mall or at Six Flags? Or in Texas? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mary finally finds Jesus, and he's hanging out in the temple, and he's actually doing some teaching at a, as a 12-year-old. And she goes, I've been worried sick about you. Where have you been? You wait till your father hears about this. He says, actually... That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I'm, 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 I'm not, not about my father, but my father. My, 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 my dad's business. And Mary had to figure out the rope situation. And Jesus gets into his ministry, and Mary's at a wedding, and Jesus is at the wedding, and they run out of wine. And, and Mary says, listen to him. Tell, do whatever he says do. And she's releasing the rope and she's seen him and I wonder if he was on the cross if she would have said why didn't I just why didn't why didn't he just stay a carpenter why didn't he just do what Joseph did but she had to trust the dream of God beyond her own dream sometimes God's plan sometimes our kids make it to heaven before we do sometimes our kids go a direction that we wish they'd go different but but God God ultimately is the father and maybe you feel like oh I got some regrets in my parenting they're already grown and you say oh, I wish I would have done different or maybe you're in the middle of it and you're like, man, it feels like it's too far gone. There's so many habits here. Or 
maybe you're at the very beginning, you're like, oh, I don't, man, I don't want to, I just don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my mom. I want to do it different. I want to give you a scripture that's actually going to hurt. It's going to hurt, but there's hope at the end. So, so don't, go, don't get scared. There's hope at the end. But look at the second commandment God gives Moses of the Ten Commandments. Number two of the Ten. In Exodus chapter 20, he says it like this. God says, you can't make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them, those idols, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. I want your attention. And I will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And you know, those gods aren't just made of like wooden totem poles with, with goat hair at the top. Like they, there are circles around the bullseye. That if it gets our time and it gets our, timish, our attention and it gets our money and it gets our submission and our surrender, then that's really our God. Now here's, here's the hard part to hear. God says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. And maybe, maybe you're here and that's been your story in the past. Because you're just now finding Christ and you've come through hell as a kid. I want you to know that if that's where we left off, we'd all be in pretty miserable shape. Because we're all like the Bible says, we're kind of like sheep and we go astray and we don't do what we should do and our parenting isn't always fantastic and we make mistakes and we sometimes it's too much clutch. Sometimes it's too much gas. We're sitting here trying to spin plates and be counterbalanced and we, we, we fail. And there's times where I raise my voice and I get upset with my kids when I should have just listened. I should have just backed off. I should, I, should, I should have done it different. And God says, if, if, not a, if not dealt with, that kind of stuff is handed down. But look at the very, and I love it when we see these buts in the, in the Bible, these however moments in the Bible. Look, he says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. And I want to tell you something. If you've been living under the junk and the curse of stuff you've done wrong today, he still pours his love on you. You still can receive it in this moment. You don't have to go back and fix the past because guess what? You just can't. But that's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news. You couldn't fix it even if you tried. So he provides grace and mercy. For those who love me, and those who follow what I say. All of our kids, they're on a rope. Come on up, Abby. There's going to come a time where you simply say, okay. Daddy have just tried to show you, and now it's time. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, showed us how to live. He holds the ultimate rope, but he also gives us this will, and, and I want to say this to you. If, if you'll teach your kids how to leave. It's the only way you'll actually ever keep them. If you want to keep your kids, learn how to release them. And then they'll come back. Thank you, Abby. They'll come back. Someday I'm going to find the time to model. Someday I'm going to find the time to forgive. Someday I'm going to find the time to do it right. Someday is today. Someday is today. Would you pray with me? Oh, 
God, I think that there's probably some of us in the room who we've got to figure this out. <laughs> and we've got some regrets. In fact, if you're here today and, and you would admit to God, I've got some regrets in the way I've parented or am parenting. I, I need to make some course corrections. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Okay, you can put your hands down. I knew this. Was, the place was full in first service, all kinds of hands, all kinds of hands in second service. And the reason I do that is because I want to say this to you. You do not, if you trust God in this moment, put it in his hands, you cannot keep walking in guilt and shame now. You have to, you have to give that to God too. And you got to trust him that his mercies are new today, even though you have regrets, that his mercies are new today. Start today. Aim today. Learn how to release today. So, God, that's what we do today. Regardless of what was in the past, today, our kids that are small, our kids that are grown, our kids that have followed in, the, in your ways, Lord, the kids that have become chips off the old block, and I was not the best example. Our kids who are out there doing what they're doing, Father, guide them, guide us. For all kinds of families that are in the room, hurting families, broken families, mixed families, families without moms, families without dads, for couples without kids, for those that are someday going to be married, Lord, may we all trust you as our Heavenly Father. something. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He gave you today to just remind you he's in control. Take today and make the most of it. Would you just, would you just applaud the Lord this morning? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Well, we, we've come to this moment in service where it's our benediction and we finish with worship in two ways. We finish by receiving our offering. That's an act of worship. And we, we finish by singing this song together. Before we give today, I want, I want our team to come down real, real quick. Come on, guys, and Pastor Jonathan. Uh, we are headed to Haiti next week. Or I guess it's this week. Tomorrow. They go to Haiti tomorrow. What's up, Jonathan? How are you? I let Jonathan borrow my shirt today. I wore it when I was in fifth grade. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. It's because you're so skinny and sharp. Um, Jonathan, tell us about what we're doing in Haiti. Yeah, we leave tomorrow at 2 a.m. These guys right here have sacrificed time off of work, their time, their talent, their treasure, everything <laughs> yeah. they've got uh, to meet here in the morning to go bless some kiddos that you guys feed every single day. Over 500 of those kids. Yeah. And, uh, man, we are so excited bringing them plates. Last week, last year they were pulling, like, dog bowls and frisbees and anything they could whoa, 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 plastic, whoa, whoa, whoa. Get that. plastic plates anything get that so we feed 500 kids every single day in, in a particular village but they don't even have plates to like eat off of yeah. so they're pulling old frisbees out of the out of the dirt and dog bowls to yeah. use. So we saw that and we, something so simple like simple a plate, but lesson. it's dignity, isn't yeah, it? Definitely, Go ahead. definitely. Hey, we're rebuilding bathrooms for these kids. We're doing whatever we can and, and through it all, bringing the hope of Jesus to everyone we speak to. And so yeah. thank you. Thank you for going all in. Thank you for allowing us as you pray, as you give, we get to go. You're going along with us. Yeah. We thank you so much. Yeah. So these guys have, have paid their own way but because of your giving, we're able to do what Jonathan said. Thank you. Now, listen, when, when, you, when you don't give, um, you get to be a part of the church. But there is a certain blessing for those that give. I mean, there just is. So you get to be a part of it when you, when you put God first in your finance. It just, it's just a beautiful thing that God honors. And so we're going to pray over the offering. And we're not only going to pray over what we receive in the offering, but we're going to pray for this offering, this Timber Creek offering in representation of people that are going to go and serve in Haiti. Would you pray with me, Father, in the next few moments as we give, 
I pray that you'd be lifted up and blessed, Lord, by this giving. I pray that this team that's uh, taken of their own finances, of their own time, to take vacation and go serve those that have not been served. Lord, what, what a tremendous blessing to offer them to you, Lord. I, God, I pray that you keep them safe keep them healthy. God, I know that they're going to do a lot of great things for those kids in Haiti, but really another thing's going to happen is you're going to, you're going to give them a, a, a larger focus and they're going to come back to the United States and they're going to see things a little differently and they're going to serve a little more and you, they're just, they're going to be blessed as they are a blessing. So I pray that you bless this offering and bless this team in Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's prepare to give to the Lord today. And as the ushers begin to serve, let's sing this together. service here at Timber Creek Church. So glad you came today. Have an incredible week. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.